This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns from vacation on Monday. I bet she's enjoying the sunshine, probably out playing tennis, making lots of nice dinners. If you've seen her Instagram feed, then you know that to be the case. Well, we Canadians have been warned that the overlap of the flu season and the COVID-19 pandemic could provide a host of healthcare challenges across the medical system and beyond. The warning comes from the president of the Canadian Medical Association, Dr. Sandy Buckman, who says it's going to be a major challenge for family physicians to sort out. We're going to fight back's favorite family physician to get reaction and provide perspective. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel is also the founder of Prime Health Clinical Research. Dr. Iris, welcome. Do we have Dr. Iris on the line? I'm right here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Do you echo Dr. Buckman's concerns? Very much so. And what's extra concerning is the Canadian Pharmacists Association is also echoing that. They estimate that the demand for the influenza vaccination this year is going to go up by 21%. And a third of those respondents related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, that makes sense because uh, the flu season that is already underway in the Southern Hemisphere, demand went up uh, something like 16 percent. That's right. There's no question it's gone up. And, And the challenge for me as a family doctor is that there's now going to be a barrier to getting the flu shot. And that's that every single patient who calls has to answer that questionnaire, that COVID-19 questionnaire. And if they have anything, a runny nose, a sore throat, a fever, they're going to be directed first to COVID testing. Uh, That's a barrier. So someone won't come into your office first. When they call, they will be asked those questions and then directed whether they can come see you or whether they should go to a COVID-19 testing center. That's exactly right. And then what happens? We have to know that they're testing negative for COVID before they qualify. And there will be also measures done in pharmacies to make sure that patients are not going to be spreading COVID at the point of giving the vaccination at the pharmacy. Uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, tell us, uh, remind us how closely related the symptoms are between COVID-19 and the seasonal flu. Well, 40% of patients with COVID-19 can be asymptomatic. But as people get older, the likelihood of becoming symptomatic actually does go up just a little bit. So the people who have symptoms, you know, we have to be cautious. Those over 60, high risk. Those with chronic conditions, potentially higher risk. So at the same time, this is the same group we want to make sure that they have protection. You know, the flu shots are not yet available, but what is available now are the pneumonia shots. So that's critical to get now. Oh, tell us more about that. So there's two pneumonia shots available, one of which is actually covered by insurance plans, and that's called Pneumovax 23. And that reduces invasive pneumococcal pneumonia by 75%. That's a huge reduction. 
The other shot is the Prevnar 13, and that's important to get because that cuts the likelihood of pneumococcal pneumonia in half. And those are one-offs. Once you have it, you're good for life. You don't have to worry again. So I'm encouraging all my own patients to be sure to get vaccinated against pneumonia now, and that way when the flu shots come out, they'll be good and ready to get their flu shots. And, and sorry, are those um, are those shots age-specific, or are they for any age? Great question. So the Pneumovax 23 is covered for individuals over the age of 65 or those individuals who are deemed at high risk. So that's a good idea to speak to your family doctor to make sure that you understand if you're in those categories. And the Prevnar 13, that can technically be given to anyone over the age of 50, but we like to aim it more closely at those over 60 or those who have high-risk conditions. Now, Dr. Buckman is asking whether Canadian physicians are going to be able to manage and get the kind of support and backup that's needed when we have the overlap of COVID-19 and the flu. What is the support and backup he's referencing? Well, one of the big challenges that family doctors are facing are enough PPE. You know, things like masks, gowns, gloves, those sort of things. And what we're doing now, too, is, you know, it used to be the waiting room would be full of patients, and they would wait, and we would see them one by one. Well, those days are now gone, and what we have are very carefully socially distanced appointments. So we're not seeing as many people in person. It used to be an open-door policy in my own office. Anytime you want the flu shot, you just come in and get it. The philosophy being we have to take down every barrier possible. This year represents new challenges because we still have to do the social distancing. We have to clean between patients. We have to make sure we have enough PPE for every single patient. And uh, that can be challenging. I guess this is a good time to invite our Zoomer radio listeners to be part of the conversation as well, Dr. Iris, in terms of how your relationship has changed, whether you've had any delays getting in to see your family physician, if you have any health concerns that have not been addressed by your family doctor as a result of COVID-19, we'd like to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Similarly, uh, about the flu, Uh, do you normally get the flu shot? And if you don't, are you getting it this year as a result of COVID-19? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Dr. Iris, I'll ask you that question. How have uh, operations in your doctor's office changed as a result of COVID-19, or have you been able to be consistent? It's completely, it's a profound difference. And the difference is, you know, we talked about a little bit that when patients call, it used to be just straight away, when do you want to come in? We'll book you in. And now we go through an entire script that, you know, we get, we have to ask all of those COVID-19 questions. Have you been traveling? Have you had contact? Are you having symptoms? And if the answer is yes to any of those, and that symptom list, by the way, is very long. It has nonspecific things like headache, do you have a runny nose? Do you have a sore throat? And if you think about it, some of these symptoms are quite universal, like people have them and they have them commonly. 
And it's very uncommon that it's related to COVID. And yet for all of these common primary care problems, they're immediately directed to testing. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Ron in Georgina. Ron, welcome to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Do you have a question for Dr. Iris? Yes, I I would just want to ask me, is the the government going to allow the pharmacies to give the high-dose flu shot this year instead of going to the doctor? Great question. Are you aware of that? I am not. Now, I'm just asking the doctor if she's aware of uh, that, if there's going to be a change in that this year. So we don't know the answer to that just yet. There's no question they're they're facing major financial challenges. So last year, um, Ontario did cover the high-dose influenza vaccine. And just for listeners' sake, the high-dose has four times the amount of antigen. It improves the immune response by about 25%. In those over 65, the, the issue is, is as we get older, our body is less able to respond to the normal flu shot. So if you give the higher dose, you actually do get more, uh, more antibody response to the flu shot. But the question is, does it, does, is it worth a five times increase in cost? That's actually how much it costs more. It's five times the cost of the regular flu shot. And provinces have have held back on it historically because the cost efficacy, like that balance, that question is actually uncertain. And now that we're also facing the challenges of the COVID-19, it's not clear to me if provinces will necessarily cover it. I think the take-home message is get the vaccine, get it at the first opportunity, do not be too hung up on is it the high dose or not. Everybody agrees that that's the best practice. This year, we may be facing shortages because of glass vial shortages, because if there is a vaccine that comes out for COVID-19, we're faced with the additional challenge of trying to cover entire populations with that vaccine. Well, and since you bring that up, uh, how likely are we to see a COVID-19 vaccine, say, before the end of the year or early next? It's hard to say. Um, I think it's optimistic. Personally, I think it's optimistic. And the vaccination, if we do have such a vaccination, it will be limited in how much we know. We won't know for sure how long the immunity will last. It's not going to be clear necessarily what that effect will be in patients who are older because the tests are largely being done in the young and healthy who tend not to get sick, who tend not to have as robust, uh, you know, a less, uh, who tend to have a more robust immune response. So this comes back to what I was describing before. You know, are the patients who are most at risk going to have good efficacy from a flu vaccination that has been studied largely in younger folks? So there's going to be limitations to what we know, and I think that's important to understand. You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. It's Jane for Libby along with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. We're talking about concerns around the overlapping of the flu season and COVID-19. We'd like you to weigh in with your concerns or questions for Dr. Iris at 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to Chris Tan in Jarvis, Ontario. Chris, go ahead. Hi. Um... My question is, is I've always been told not to get the flu shot due to my egg allergy. Um, is the COVID-19 going to be the same type of egg incubation type shot? 
Can you give us, can you enlighten us on that, Dr. Iris? Absolutely. You know, right now, believe it or not, it's, it's so incredible, the research and how rapidly it's being done. There's over 140 different vaccine candidates right now. So the question is, of all of these horse racers, which one is going to come out, number one? Will it be an egg-based vaccine? I think we'll have to wait on that and see what's actually approved. Almost certainly there's going to be multiple winners to this race, and I'm hoping that there will be some, at least, that will be not egg-based for those individuals who have serious egg allergies. Uh, Dr. Iris, before I let you go, uh, final thoughts, uh, the guidance you can offer our listeners as we approach well, the two-thirds point of summer and we start thinking about flu season and uh, COVID-19 at the moment uh, seems to be, well, we're in stage three. We haven't been told we have to go back to stage two, but uh, what guidance, what thoughts can you offer us as, as we wrap up here? Thank you so much, Jane. Probably the most important thing, understand that vaccines take a couple of weeks to work. So up front, get your pneumonia shot. You can do that right now. And get the flu shot at your first opportunity. Do not be hung up on, is this high dose or is this not high dose? It actually doesn't really matter. What matters is that you get that vaccine immunity on board early because it's risky if you have pre-existing lung disease and then later have exposure to COVID-19. Very good. Thank you, as always, for your time. Thank you, Jane. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel is a family physician. She is also the founder of Prime Health Clinical Research. And by the way, if you're just joining us and you missed some of what Dr. Iris said, later today, the podcast will be up on our website at zoomerradio.ca under podcasts and under Fight Back Libby. We now want to bring in epidemiologist Dr. Ray Dionandon at the University of Ottawa to join the conversation. Dr. Ray, thanks for joining us on Fight Back again. Thanks for having me. How important is the flu shot in this year of the pandemic? It's pretty important for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is just to remove complications from how we observe symptomatology in the population. So if people are becoming immune to the flu by the flu shot, they're less likely to clog the medical pathways and the clinics and uh, and confuse our epidemiology data with symptoms that might be COVID-related. So just take yourself out of the equation. Get the flu shot and just be safe and don't confuse us further. What about all of the pandemic-induced precautions? Uh, they should help oh. contain the spread of the seasonal flu, right? A hundred percent. I mean, look at the Southern Hemisphere. They had one of the, uh, the best flu seasons on record because of the distancing precautions they're taking. And I fully expect us uh, here in Ontario to have one of the best flu years we've had in a very long time, maybe even ever. Because people will take public health seriously now. The distancing, the hand-washing, the staying away from others, the mask-wearing. I, I really expect a good flu year. I also expect people to take the flu vaccine more seriously now than ever before. So I expect that there's going to be lineups early on to get it, which is great. I mean, the uptake will be fantastic. And I really hope that when this pandemic is over, this pro-public health mindset uh, stays with us for a while. Dr. Buckman, the president of the Canadian Medical Association, we talked about this off the top of the show, said that the convergence of seasonal infections and a potential second wave of COVID-19 could have ripple effects across the medical system. Uh, He's concerned about the doctor's offices and how they're going to handle COVID-19 patients and possibly flu patients at the same time. Are his concerns overblown based on the fact that you think we're going to have a mild flu season? 
I think they're slightly overblown, but I don't want to minimize them too much. I mean, it's, it's true that we're going to have two curves. We're going to have a flu curve and a COVID curve to look at as the season unfolds. But I anticipate the flu curve to not to be as serious. At the clinical level, though, I ha- I'm sympathetic to my medical colleagues who will be ha- having to you know, differentiate between symptoms presenting themselves. Right now, you know, if you get the COVID symptoms, you can... You know what to do. You know to call public health and to investigate appropriately. Come the flu season, suddenly it gets a little complicated. So I'm sympathetic. I don't think it'll be as chaotic as people predict, though. Remember that uh, in the latter half of the winter this year, how many people got the common cold? Very few, I think, you know, because we're already distancing at that point. I I expect that behavior to continue. That's interesting. Um, I also want to talk about what our mayor has been flagging. John Tory said yesterday over the past couple of weeks, the average age of new coronavirus cases is 39, while over the course of the entire pandemic, it's 52. And the number of cases of young adults under 29 has been growing significantly in recent weeks. You and I spoke about this at least a couple of weeks ago. It seems that young adults are not getting the message based on the daily cases. That's 100% correct. And I don't know what to do about that, except to say we need to just double down on the messaging. Now, there's a couple of things going on here. One is older people are better protected now. Therefore, naturally, the data will shift a little south, a little more, uh, more southern dem- the lower demographics. And young people are getting it more. So those two things in coordination see a growth in that younger demographic. So um, the concern is, will they then give it to older people and to more vulnerable people? Now, I don't, I'm not seeing that happening yet, but wait a couple of weeks and we'll probably see that happen. So as the schools open and the numbers get more chaotic again, we're going to be thrust into a new situation where we have to deploy our messaging in, in brand new ways. So I hope we can get this under control in the next couple of weeks. We've we got to get young people on board. We've got to drive the caseload as low as possible before schools start so that we have some buffers and wiggle room so when the, the school-based cases actually do start increasing. I, I don't think people are getting that message yet. They're not getting how important it is to drive the case numbers very low right now. Epidemiologist Dr. Ray Dianandon is at the University of Ottawa and joining me here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Jane for Libby, your calls are welcome. Uh, whether you want to discuss uh, how the, the average age of the new coronavirus cases is coming down and any behaviors you've witnessed uh, which would corroborate why that's happening, or any concerns you have about the overlap of the flu and COVID-19 as we get closer and closer to the fall season. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. I want to revisit something you just said there, Dr. Ray. How are older people better protected now? Well, the long-term care centers are less problematic now than they were earlier on in the pandemic, in large part, sadly, because many have, have suffered and died, unfortunately. But now we take it more seriously, you know, thank God. And uh, I think older uh, Canadians have gotten the message to distance themselves and to, you know, not to gather in large groups. Um, so that's important. Uh, that message has gotten through. So I'm not worried about the older demographic not understanding the risks and the stakes here. They, they get it. It's as we've talked about, it's the younger people who don't quite get it yet, this feeling of invincibility. Unfortunately, um, the younger brain has two things going for it. One is a lower perception of risk, and the second is a deep desire and need to socialize. And those, those two things combined are a recipe for disaster in the era of infectious disease. 
And of course, it's not across the board. Uh, I have two children in their mid-20s, and I see them being extremely responsible, my stepsons as well, both in their mid-20s, practicing physical distancing, not having social bubbles anywhere near even 10 people. So it's not across the board. It's, uh, you know, you're wondering what element of this 20 to 29 population is driving the numbers up. That's a really good point to make, and we have to remember that. It's not everyone, it's a handful of individuals. This disease, though, doesn't tolerate a lot of deviance from the norm. So any other public health crisis, let's say the smoking issues, you can tolerate 10, 15% of people not getting the message, and they're going to hurt themselves and maybe their loved ones. But this disease, if 5, 10% of people aren't complying with public health guidelines, you can possibly cause enormous numbers of outbreaks and, and a new wave. So we cannot tolerate a small number of people not getting the message. And unfortunately, it's a classic case of a handful of individuals rooting it for everybody else. How do you create that empathy? I know uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory was musing about this yesterday, that the city may use social media, maybe TikTok, to try to communicate that message that if you're in crowds, if you're gathering with people outside your social bubble closer than two meters, you could take it home to your parents and grandparents. Is is that the way we need to go? Do we need to create an empathy that resonates with them? It's one strategy. We need to deploy all the strategies. So I'm fond of talking about the carrot and the stick. The stick is the scolding and the law, and the carrot is the incentive to young people get out of it, to, to behave and to not uh, socialize too much. And as well, some people are never going to get the message, uh, in large part because they are the victims of, of a misinformation campaign, of the pseudoscience that percolates through our society. And for those individuals, it's going to take months of re-education to have them understand what risk really is. And so that's when the, the heavy hand of the law must step in and say you're violating public health bylaws and must be um, restricted from doing so. But yeah, we need to use social media. We need to use um, icons and, uh, and thought leaders, role models, etc., and appeal to the better natures of individuals. Canadians, for the most part, I think, respond to the narrative of heroism. You're heroic if you protect our vulnerable. That's worked for the majority of people. But that handful um, for whom it has not worked, I think we need to explore other strategies. Well, and I mean, you look at countries and they've had a bit of a resurgence, but New Zealand, for instance, what have they done there well to basically keep the virus at bay? Excellent question. Now, New Zealand has a couple of advantages. They are an island nation, for example, and there is a very low population intensity. They also have very good leadership and consistent leadership with strong messaging that was very evidence-based and science-based and it acted early on. They closed their borders early on and were very serious about containing this. So what we learned from them is you, you act hard. You close borders hard, you drive case lows to zero, and you have faith in your public health leaders to do the job. You don't combat them with misinformation and pseudoscience. How do you think so we we've have, done how do you think we've done on that level here? It does seem that uh, COVID-19 has not become a political issue in Canada. That's right. It hasn't as much as it has in the US. Mind you, my inbox is filled with all kinds of conspiracy theories every day. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's not the majority of people, but it's enough that it keeps me busy. And um But you're right, compared to the USA, we are quite centered in the realm of science, Um, but we could do better. And what we're seeing, I think, is the dividends of a poor investment in science education over the past few decades, and also the the dividends of just an anti-authoritarian culture that's been seeping into our, our larger zeitgeist.
we do not trust our thought leaders and our, our educated scientists anymore. Yeah. Everyone has a Facebook degree. What I've I've heard, and we've been talking about younger people and not observing physical distancing, but there are people in our listening audience, the older demographic, the 45 plus, who I've heard say, you know, whether it's a neighbor or, or uh, an acquaintance, say something to me like, oh, you know, well, the COVID-19 is really only the flu. What, what do you say to somebody who says that to you? Yeah, I get that pretty much every week as well. And I have to keep on showing the numbers again. The flu it is demonstrably at least three, four, five, maybe even ten times more deadly than the flu. You're far more likely, maybe three times more likely to catch it. And it's brand new, so we don't know what its long-term effects will be. So I think people are confused by the fact that it resembles the flu in that it makes you sneeze and cough and gives you mucus. But that's where the, the, you know, the similarities end. It's a whole new disease with different effects on you. And this is where the, the failure of our larger science education program is, is manifest. Is, um, how many people know the difference between a virus and a bacterium? I don't blame them if they don't know. That's a failure of me, an educator, not to get that, that message across. Or the difference between a, a flu virus and a, a coronavirus. They're different things, and people don't get that either. So we have failed as a society to inoculate, pun intended, our citizens against misinformation. And this has to be a priority next few years. I was reading the other day um, the story of a sports writer in Los Angeles, 61-year-old guy. He said he has been healthy, no pre-existing conditions, has been observing all of the guidelines, but figures that he picked up COVID-19 when he was at a restaurant with his wife with friends when they took their masks off inside a restaurant, still following the rules, but he thinks that's when he got it. And he told the story in his column about what it was like, the hallucinations, the high fever, the feeling that somebody you know, something very heavy is on your chest. And all the while you have nobody around you because you have to protect family and friends. You don't know if you should call 911. He says it was just horrific. He's recovering, but the symptoms were extremely scary. Yeah, most people are going to recover quite well and won't have bad effects. But some will have a horrific experience and a handful will die. And by a handful, I mean a significant proportion compared to the flu. And then it's the way in which you die. I hate to be morbid about this, but you die alone, you know, because your loved ones can't be with you. And you're suffering alone as um, the individual you described was. So there are elements to this disease that haven't percolated through the media yet that people need to understand. It's not simply, I will get it, or I will recover, or I will die. It's more like, I will get it, I will suffer incalculably, and then maybe I will die. I think we need so, to hear more of these stories to scare us. Sadly. I mean, I'm not a fan of, of panicking people, but if this is what it takes to get the message across, I think we may have to. Well, have you ever heard of a sickness or a virus with such a, a large discrepancy in symptoms from asymptomatic to death? Well, yeah, there are a few out there, um, but not one that has been deployed at such scale across the world. This is a new experience for the human race as a whole, to have this kind of experience en masse shared across the globe. So it's brand new uh, territory for all of us, including public health messaging more than anybody else. So we don't, we're, we're figuring this out in real time, how to get the message across, how to combat misinformation, how to explain things to people, while at the same time being transparent with our own limitations of knowledge. 
I asked Dr. Iris Gorfinkel this before I brought you on. I'll ask you the same. Uh, any inside information as to when we can expect a vaccine or new research which would provide some hope that, that the pandemic will be gone sooner rather than later? I have no inside information, but my feeling is that there will be a vaccine on the market somewhere in the world by the end of the year. It might be in the hands of Canadians by next spring. And I think this pandemic will be pretty much over by the end of 2021. Now, I'm an optimist, and I always err on the side of positive thinking. So, you know, don't take my predictions to the bank. But um, given the, the positive outcomes of phase two clinical trials of about a half dozen vaccines so far, my projection is that if those are scaled up and the phase three trials data is similar, then if we can get it to enough hands by next year, we can be out of most of this mess by the end of next year. Oh, that is good news. Uh, you joked on your Twitter feed um, that you've done 350 interviews during the pandemic and no one has asked you about your hair and makeup routine. <laughs> I personally haven't asked you that because we're on the radio. Otherwise, I would have. <laughs> I bathe in the mother's milk of pregnant llamas. <laughs> Your Twitter feed, I, I sense that it, it's a bit of a uh, an outlet for you, a, a different side of your personality than what we hear and see in your interviews. I guess so. It's what my students see all the time. So okay. <laughs> well, we always appreciate you being there for us, Dr. Ray. We'll look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much. Dr. Ray Dianandan, epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.